Hello and welcome to our Sunday morning podcast. My name is Ian Renitz and it's my pleasure to host this online service while at the moment we're not able to get together physically. I'm an ABC watcher and I've been really taken by the We Are Australian videos. We are one, but we are many. You know, as believers, we who are many are one body in Christ. We might be distanced, but we are one. We are God's elect, scattered throughout the lounge rooms and offices of our city, but we are one. I'm especially pleased to host today as the Bible passage we'll be looking at is one of my favourites. It's the second in our series, Inexpressible and Glorious Joy, from 1 Peter. While joy might seem in short supply at the moment, like various other things, the Bible reminds us where we find it. So, let us praise our Heavenly Father, for in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope. And that is glorious joy. John, our senior minister, will be speaking to us about this living hope, which is so important in the midst of hard times. We'll also lift our hearts and voices in song and prayer. Amanda, our children's minister, will bring us a challenge, the 555 challenge. We'll hear from Amy Stevens, working with CMS in Cordoba, Argentina. And we'll be sharing an online Lord's Supper. So to prepare, you might like to pause this podcast while you get your Bible ready and you get some bread and juice for Holy Communion. And then we'll sing a song.
morning everyone. It's great to be together and it's so good that we can still meet in this way. This morning I wanted to share a new resource with you. It's called the 555 Challenge. What it is, is five minutes a day for five days of the week, over five weeks, engaging with God's word in an attainable and regular way. Each week you will get an email that contains the readings, prayers and songs for the week. You read the passage, answer a few questions together, pray and sing praise to God, or you could even just dance or listen to the songs. This is a great way to kickstart a family devotion time, to renew something that you haven't done for a while, or simply a new idea. There is no better time than now when we're all at home together to do a challenge like this. Pat is going to lead our family in this, and we would love for you to join us. Our Cross Life Kids leaders are going to do it as well. In the comment section, I'll put how you can sign up and please comment and let me know that you're gonna join us so that we can encourage one another in this. Hi friends at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church. My name is Amy Stevens. I'm one of your Link missionaries. And here in Argentina, our life has changed quite significantly um, with the coronavirus um, pandemic. Uh, here in Argentina, we've been on full lockdown uh, since the 19th of March. Um, so that means that we're only allowed to go out of our homes for um, food uh, or to go to the hospital or to the pharmacy. So personally, I've been um, at home uh, for quite a long time. <laughs> uh, and the, at, at this moment, the quarantine has been extended until the 12th of May. Um, but it's likely that it will continue after that as well. Uh, I would love to be able to share with you a little bit about what life looks like now for me. Uh, ministry has changed quite significantly and um, and has created lots of opportunities, which is really exciting, but also some challenges. So I'd like to invite you to have a Zoom chat with me on Thursday night, uh, the 7th of May, and we're going to meet from 8pm till 9pm, your time. So I really hope that you can come online and um, that we can chat together. Bye. Hello, my name is Julie, and it's my privilege to lead us through our prayer time this morning. We'll be spending time praising our God, confessing our sins, giving thanks to God, and bringing our requests to him. At the conclusion of our prayer time, I'll invite you to join me in saying together the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. The psalmist writes, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Loving Father, we give you thanks and praise for your sovereignty and for your generosity in all that you have given us. Help us to keep trusting in you and your goodness, especially when life is uncertain. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, 
not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbours, and to live for your honour and glory, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Loving and merciful Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and justice and for the promise that you will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness when we come to you and acknowledge the many ways in which we have failed you. Help us to continue to trust in your grace and mercy towards us. Amen. Loving Father, we give you thanks for our church family. And this week we pray for the following members of our church. For Graham and Lisa Shea, Wes Sheard, Sarah, John, Aidan and Erin Simerson, and Moya Simon. As the Apostle Paul prayed for the Philippian church, we pray that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Loving and merciful Father, we continue to pray for our community, nation and world as we face the uncertainty of the coronavirus pandemic. We pray that you would strengthen the work of those who are researching vaccines and treatments. We also pray for strength and protection for those who are caring for people who are sick. Give wisdom to those who need to make decisions for the well-being of others. For those of us for whom this virus doesn't pose a great risk, we ask that you would enable us to be more aware of the needs and vulnerability of others than concerned about our own rights and freedoms. For those of us who are prone to anxiety, we pray that we would be able to find our comfort in your sovereignty and that you would enable us to make wise decisions rather than panic-driven ones. Help us all to be gracious with each other as we respond to the situation as it continues to unfold. May we not lose sight of the need to love and care for one another, especially those who are isolated or who have lost jobs. Even more, may we hold on to the promise you give us of a world where there is no more sickness or crying or death. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with Ian Reenitz as he serves in hospital chaplaincy across the Illawarra and Shoalhaven. We especially pray that you would strengthen him as he cares for patients and their families, as well as for staff. Please give him gentleness in the words he speaks, boldness to point people to the hope that they can find in Jesus and wisdom in allocating his time and energy according to the, de the many demands before him. Amen. 
Lord God, we thank you that we can bring our prayers and concerns to you and that we know that you will answer according to your good and perfect will to the praise and glory of your Son. Will you please join me in saying together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Hi, I'm Matt, and today we were reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. And as we get into this passage from 1 Peter, let me pray uh, that God might speak to us. Dear Lord, I pray that my words might be faithful to your word. And I pray that we might know deeply the joy of your salvation. Amen. One of the sad realities of familiarity is that we lose our sense of awe and wonder. So we live in a beautiful part of the world down here in Shell Harbour, but we can drive down the highway or you know, over the crest on Pioneer Drive and completely miss the, the beauty and the, the ruggedness of the escarpment. Uh, or we go to the beach and we like the beach, but we just no longer go, wow, you know, isn't this place incredible? But we can also do it with more significant things in life. So we can take for granted our marriage. We can take for granted family or friends. And if you've been a Christian for a while, we can take God's God for granted, his goodness and grace to us. And yeah, we, we no longer quite feel quite so alive and exuberant as perhaps we did when we first started out. And the danger of that is that we can end up missing all the good and just seeing the things that we perceive to be difficult. Or we start looking outside of God's goodness for that sense of meaning and purpose and that feeling of being alive again. Or perhaps it just all feels too hard. And we're just sick of criticism and perhaps that feeling of, of being persecuted or feeling like we're an outsider. And so in the end, yeah, we're just tempted to give up. You know, perhaps life would just be better and easier over there. You know, as humans, we're not built to live in a state of constant emotional euphoria. That's just not how life is. And so sometimes we do need to be reminded, don't we? You know, for someone to say, stop and see that what you have is good. 
and to be thankful. As Peter writes this letter, he's writing to non-Jewish Christians who are living in the Roman Empire, but he uses a lot of Jewish language. So he wants to connect their experience with the experience of Israel. But he also wants them to see how God is fulfilling his promises to Israel, not just to one nation, but to all nations and for all people. And so last week we looked at how uh, these Christians uh, were living as God's elect people, chosen by God, uh, but also living as exiles in the world. And in this passage, he then goes on to explore, well, what does that really look like and what does that mean? And I love the language of this passage because it doesn't just describe what God is doing or how he's doing it, but he, you know, he reaches out and wants us to feel what God is doing. He wants us to feel the joy of God's grace and mercy and his salvation. As we get into this passage today, I'm going to look at it under four headings. And for those who like to sort of see the structure of where we're going, I'll put up a slide just showing the transition for each point. So follow along with me. Let's, uh, we'll start the passage looking at verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth is a rather graphic and messy image, but it's also beautiful and it represents the fresh start we can have in Christ, where we get to let go of all of that past baggage. And it's not that we forget the past or deny the past, but we get to look forward to a fresh start, to what this passage describes as a living hope. You know, so often hope is more wishful thinking than reality, but there's just enough in it to keep us going. And so for the person who plays lotto, they don't actually think they're going to win. They don't go out and buy a house in anticipation of their numbers coming up next week. But they do keep on going because there's this tiny chance that it just might be possible. But that's not the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope is in the God who is in control, who is fulfilling all things according to his purposes and plans. And so he can absolutely guarantee an outcome. And he shows us that we can trust in that guarantee when we look at the events of the resurrection. And so last week we read how Christians are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, which is an even more graphic image than the idea of new birth. But it connects with the Old Testament sacrificial system where a bull was killed as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it connects with our experience of Jesus dying on the cross and him paying the price for our sin so that we might be forgiven. You know, God is just and God is judge. And so if we reject his rule over our life, if we refuse to listen when he tells us how to live, then the Bible calls that sin. And I think there's sort of two very common reactions to sin. The first is to be overwhelmed with guilt. You know, we look at our sin and there is just so much of it. It just feels like it's piled up everywhere. And it might not be sort of fridge-sized sin. It might not be things like adultery or assault or stealing a car. But there is just so much of it. And as much as we hate it in ourselves, we keep doing it. And we can't seem to change our behaviour. I think for that person, then, they understand the seriousness of sin and the justice of God. But they haven't completely appreciated just how much Jesus has achieved on the cross, where our sins can be completely forgiven. 
He has paid the price for all of our sins, so it no longer gets held over our head. God is not going to bring it up again next time we do the wrong thing. We have a completely fresh start in Christ. The other reaction is to trivialise sin to something that doesn't really warrant that much attention or God's displeasure. And it's as much about our attitude to God as our behaviour. And so we feel that God should be for us, uh, that God should be giving us a good life, but we don't feel any sense of mutual obligation. Uh, And we certainly don't feel any sense of remorse for our sin. In fact, we'll often even justify our sin. You know, this is how God has created me to be. So how could God be angry uh, or punish me for simply being true to myself? And of course, that sort of argument you know, doesn't work in our legal system and it doesn't work before God. You know, we can't say, well, I'm naturally an angry person, so it's okay if I hit people. You know, we don't accept that type of argument. And certainly if that is us, then we are failing to see just how much we needed our sin paid for on the cross and just how serious our sin is. You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross as a godly example of self-sacrifice. and He didn't die on the cross to teach us a pithy life lesson. He died because sin is serious and sin will send us to hell if we don't do something about it. And so we desperately need the events of the cross. And the resurrection confirms that Jesus really is qualified to pay the price for our sin. And so we can be confident that our sin is forgiven, that justice is done and that forgiveness can now be offered. And if we're willing to accept Jesus standing in our place and paying the price for our sin, and if we're willing to accept his authority over our life, then the Bible calls that faith. So we have faith that Jesus does secure our salvation and we have faith as we live in obedience to him and according to his will. Faith can certainly be blind and superstitious, uh, but that's not the faith that we have. Our faith is in the real objective events of the resurrection, and the object of our faith is Jesus, who's already demonstrated his power and love. And so we can be confident that he is for us. And that faith looks forward to, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not the strength of our faith that guarantees our inheritance. It's our faith in the one who has strength. The entire history of the Old Testament is one big case study in why we need God to be the one who does the saving. So for Israel, God demonstrates his love by rescuing them out of Egypt and into the land that he promised to Abraham. And as they go into that land, God gives them everything they need to live according to his will. And so he says to them, this is how you to live. And if you do the right thing, I will bless you. And if you do the wrong thing, there'll be consequences. So this is how the book of Leviticus puts it. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you, because they did all these things. I abhorred them. But I say to you, you will possess the land, I will give it to you as an inheritance, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the nations. So they have all the information and all the motivation to commit themselves to God. But as we know, they won't be faithful to that commitment. And in the end, they lose their inheritance. And that's why we need God to be the one who does the saving, because our whole nature conspires against us. And that's why we need God to be the one who holds on to us to the end. Yeah, imagine getting stuck out in the middle of the ocean where you can see the shore and you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming, but it doesn't matter how hard you swim, the currents just seem to pull you further away. And you get to a point where you're so despairing that even if someone held out their hand and said, you know, grab on, we just wouldn't have the strength to do it. Yeah, if you can imagine that, then you can imagine just how wonderful it is to know that God is the one who grabs onto us. And God is the one who will hold on to us to the end. And God's plan for our inheritance was always bigger than simply a geographic place in the Middle East. Uh, it always looked forward to an eternal home where we would live in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with other people. You know, it certainly doesn't mean that life will now all be smooth sailing. But it does mean that whatever storms come, whatever the circumstances, that God is holding on to us and God will bring us to the end. And so starting at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials come in all sorts of different forms. And certainly in this letter, Peter talks a lot about living as exiles in the world and recognising that we are going to be different to the culture around us. And as Christians now, we've got to get used to the idea that the message of the Bible is offensive if you don't believe it's true. You know, how dare Christians say that my behaviour is wrong or that I'm a sinner or that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. You know, that sort of thinking just doesn't fit with the inclusiveness mantra of our culture, and it certainly doesn't fit with the predominant view of what love should look like. For our culture, love at the moment is endorsing and embracing the values of the other person. So you either agree with me and love me, or you disagree with me and hate me. But for Christians, we have a different view where we say, actually, we can love people and still disagree. And as Christians, we're still going to talk to people about Jesus, even though we know that they will potentially find it offensive because we love them. But for most people, that's not going to be seen as acceptable. And it doesn't matter what our motivation, we're still going to be seen as narrow-minded and self-righteous and bigoted. But trials also come in the form of temptation. And again, this is going to be a big theme right throughout this letter to, of 1 Peter. And so in chapter 2, for example, he writes these words. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we feel the power of temptation when we know exactly what to do in any given situation, but every ounce of our being wants to do something else. You know, we see it in the way that we talk to other people. Um, we see it in the way that we talk about other people. Uh, we feel the temptation of lust and greed and envy. 
And we see it in our lack of contentment, despite the fact that God has given us so many good things. And so often temptation isn't big and bold. It makes sin look small and harmless. It's kind of like an M&M. You know, it's just small and it, it won't make any big difference. But of course, before you know it, you've eaten the entire family pack. And trials can also come in the form of tragedy. And this isn't a big theme in this letter of 1 Peter, but it certainly fits in that category of all kinds of trials. And so suffering can come in the form of a chronic illness or an accident, or perhaps the death of someone that we love, or losing our job, or perhaps at the moment, uh, very significantly, that, that feeling of loneliness and isolation. And we don't see anyone else to blame, we don't feel there's anyone else to blame, and so we blame God. And I think in those particular moments it becomes even more difficult when there's no sense of good reason. You know, we can't see what God is hoping to achieve in all of this. And so we can't see an end to our suffering or we just get hit over and over again. It's just one thing after the next until we sort of finally reach a point where we go, you know, is God there at all or God, does God actually care? And so what we're left with at the end is just a hopelessness and a despair. Horatio Spafforth wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, that we sang at the beginning of this podcast. And his story is one of just tragedy on tragedy. So he was a lawyer in Chicago in the late 1800s, and he lost his first son to pneumonia. Uh, then later in that year, uh, the great Chicago fire uh, swept through the city, and he lost most of his wealth. And then two years later, uh, he's about to travel to Europe with his family, so his wife and four daughters, but he's waylaid for business, and so they go on ahead. And as they're making that journey, they are struck by another ship, and it sinks, and all four daughters die in the accident. And so his wife, Anne, sends him a telegram, and it simply says... All alone, what shall I do? And so Horatio books passage on the next ship, and as he's travelling across to England to meet his wife, he writes that song. And so we hear these words, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. The reality of our faith should be seen every day in the way we live. But we see it most significantly in how we persevere when things get tough. And certainly for Peter, he sees two good things coming out of trials. Firstly, our perseverance testifies to the genuineness of our faith. So when you melt gold, then the fire burns off all the dross. And if it really is gold, then what's left is something that is pure and spectacular. And Peter wants to say... Our salvation in Christ is even more precious than that. And where gold you know, will come and go, our salvation is forever. So trials reveal the reality of that salvation. God knows who's saved, so it's not revealing it to God, but it reveals it to us. And it gives us confidence in our conviction. Because there's always going to be times, aren't there, in life where we doubt our conviction and we doubt our love. And so sometimes it takes hard things and persevering through hard things to remind ourselves that our faith is genuine and real. And I think the second thing that comes out of it is that it's a 
testament to those who observe us in those times. When people see us go through hard times and they see how we persevere through them and endure through them and how we trust God in them, then it shows them that it's not just a faith for good times. It's a faith that can genuinely withstand all the complexity of life. And hopefully, God willing, as they see us endure and as they see us persevere, they will look to see the God who's behind it and the strength that we get from his grace and mercy and goodness. And the end result of all of this is that we will stand before God and receive his praise and glory and honour. You know, as a child, there's nothing we want more than the praise of our dad. You know, to look at what we've done and just to go, that is awesome. Uh, and even as adults, uh, we want the praise of those people we respect. And certainly as Christians, more than anything else, we want the praise of God. In the words of Jesus, we want God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And because of what God has done for us, we then read in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Inexpressible and glorious joy is perhaps one of my favourite phrases in the Bible because it speaks to our thankfulness and our awe of God. You know, I'm not really much of a jump up and down on the couch kind of guy. You know, I'm not very good at being gushing with my praise or being particularly exuberant. But joy is bigger than exuberance. Joy is big enough to include the realities and the complexities of life. It includes sin and trials and temptations and still comes out the other end, thankful for God's goodness and mercy. And whatever comes, whatever circumstances we are confronted by, we can still be confident of the salvation that we have in Christ. You know, if you don't feel particularly threatened, then the idea of salvation doesn't sound like very much. But once you realise you're a sinner, then salvation changes our perspective completely. You know, God has created us, God loves us, uh, God has made salvation possible through his Son. And that is just a wonderful reality. It's like, you know, we're out in the ocean, two breaths away from drowning, and we're plucked out and we're placed in a five-star hotel and you're know, surrounded by all the people that we love. Now, it's not a wishful thinking hope. It's a living hope. Uh, this is what God can promise because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we can be confident that it's true because of the resurrection. And if you think all of this just sounds too good to be true, then praise God that he would offer us so much when we deserve so little and so we can be thankful for these final words for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls praise god amen well we now have the opportunity of sharing in the lord's supper together hopefully you have something like bread and wine or juice to remember Jesus' sacrifice for you. Let us pray. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
we praise you especially for your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, who by his death on the cross offered once for all time the one true sacrifice for sin, reconciling us to you and satisfying your just demands. By rising to new life, Jesus has secured eternal deliverance for his people. We thank you, Father, that on the night before he died, Jesus took bread and when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup and again giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, Father, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine and pray that we who eat them, believing our Saviour's word, may share in the eternal benefits of his body and blood given in our place. Amen. So let's take the bread. Take and eat this, remembering Christ died for you, and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. into the wine or juice. Drink this, remembering that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. What better words than from 1 Peter 1? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And a bit further on, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Great news, inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast for this morning. You might like to encourage each other on Facebook now with some reflections about our time together. During the week, our connect groups will be meeting in various ways. If you'd like to join one of them, please let John know. May our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.